Living the life of a professional artist can seem romantic and thrilling. And while it's true that in many ways it is, it can also be a life filled with challenges and complexities that often feel heavy and discouraging. Join us for Outset, a podcast dedicated to helping fledgling artists develop a healthy, creative approach to their art and careers. Have you ever suffered from depression? Do you ever feel like your creativity is hindered by how you feel emotionally? Do you put off working on something you're passionate about because you feel like it's hopeless to start? As a creative person, do you ever feel isolated and lonely? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Outset, a conversation for the developing artist. I'm Emily Wheeler. And I'm Scott Ferris, and we appreciate you joining us for this conversation today. Um, it's going to be an interesting one. I yeah, think. we are going to definitely tackle a important topic, no doubt. I agree. And uh, kind of as a way to get into this, Emily, I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, you and I actually met at South Plains College yes. in Texas. Uh, <laughs> we were both instructors in the creative arts department uh, there, and we've worked together and known each other for pretty long time now. <laughs> yeah, you several know. years. Yeah. And uh, had the pleasure of working together on some artistic projects mm -hmm. and and you know, that has a way of, of bonding people and building friendships. So Definitely. we, you know, we kind of have that. Um, so I'm, I'm going to ask you a question to start today. Um, and that question is, what is your impression of me outwardly? Now, before you answer, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not like digging for compliments and, and <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. crap like that. Um, uh, but I'd like to know how you would characterize me overall. Am I... Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, down, up, whatever. I would say that my first impression of you yeah. um, was pretty true to how I've always thought of you. And I remember when we first met, you were actually picking me up one morning to take me out to a school where I had a job interview. And the faculty there had asked you to pick me up in the morning at my hotel, drive me over to the school so I could spend the day there, um, you know, getting familiar with the school and doing my interview. And I remember I was sitting on a couch in that hotel um, kind of lobby. Yeah. And you walked in full of energy and you were smiling and it was just a handout right away for a very hearty handshake. And it was just very gregarious and warm and high energy. And we drove together to the college and that was exactly how the ride was too. You know, it was high energy. You were really happy. Um, I just remember you sounding very excited about what was going to be going on that day. And in fact, I remember later that night when I got back to the hotel room, I called my husband and we were talking about his day and my day. And I had told him that I really felt like we were going to, to move and I was going to take this job at this college because there were some really great faculty there, just really, you know, great people, good energy, a lot of creativity. I felt like it would be a really good spot for us. And we did. We moved and I, I did accept that job. And Every day after that, Scott, you would come into work and you were just upbeat, kind of bouncing down the hallways, always smiling um, as someone who's collaborated with you. You know, you're very dependable. You know, when you say you're going to do something, it gets done and at a high level. You can just always trust when something gets delegated to Scott, you know, <laughs> that it's, it's going to be taken care of. So I don't know. I think that that's probably that's probably how I would just. That, that's probably how I would describe you, you know, good energy, happy, upbeat, excitable, dependable. 
<laughs> Will, that was awesome. <laughs> was just, Are was we like, done? Do we're done know? now. I, I feel really validated, and and that was today's program. Um, you know, I. Yeah. But how people come across can sometimes be real different than what's going on in the inside, right? And so I don't know. You might describe it differently. I, and and I do, and and a lot of the people who know me are probably going to be surprised by this. Um, but I suffer from depression, um, and I've suffered from it for almost as long as I can remember. I can, uh, I think I can remember a, a little bit of a time in my childhood where I wasn't always dark and thinking these, you know, horrible thoughts about myself and everything around me. But at that point, I, th I was more like a little furry animal running around. I don't think there was any thought in my head. It was, you know, Legos and, you know, whatever I was playing with at the time. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, naturally, I am... Uh, I am an extrovert. Um, I I am an outgoing person, but inside there has been this cloud, literally, that I have dealt with for as long as I can remember. Um, and I'm not just talking about feeling blue, you know, or right. or or there's a situation that I'm grieving or whatever. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? I'm not talking about that. I, um, uh, there's a difference between feeling down or feeling depressed and having depression. Sure. Those are, those are obviously related, but they are two different things. Um, I think the truth is nearly everyone will suffer from at least some form of mild depression in their life, if mm -hmm. not severe sometimes. I mean, life has horrible events. Uh, you know, you lose a loved one, um, some terrible thing happens. It's very normal to be depressed by that and, and about that. So, so I think that that, um, is something that we all experience. And I think that that's kind of a situational yeah. depression brought on by an event. Sure. Um, but I, I I'm talking more about a pervasive a pervasive depression that is always there. And if it's not always there, it's always near. Right. Um, so I, I think a lot of people would be really surprised to find that that's actually kind of what's going on internally inside yeah. of me all the time. Yeah. Um, Cause that's very different than my outward response to the world, which probably is a, you know, a little yeah, bit of a coping really mechanism. Different. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, you so. definitely come across as someone who is just constantly in a good place, right? And so this just reminds all of us that, <laughs> that truly people just are really dealing with things on the inside that sometimes aren't really easy to see for others. Yeah, most definitely. Um, this is a difficult topic, actually, for me to talk about. Um, uh be, mainly because I don't want the people around me to blame themselves for this. This right. isn't, you know, I don't, I, this isn't my parents' fault. This isn't my friend's fault. It's not like, oh, they didn't call me enough. Scott's down. I didn't know that. Blah. No, that's not, that's not what this is. Um, I'm just wired this way internally. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I think that there are a high, there's a high percentage of the artistic population that is kind of bent this way, mm -hmm. that, that, that um, depression is pretty easy for them to fall into. I think we kind of sometimes have a predisposition for it. Not everyone. There, there aren't any, I don't think in, in, in all of humanity, 
there, there aren't those easy definitions of, oh, they're an artist, they're depressed all the time. Right. No, that's BS. I just don't mm-hmm. believe it. Um, but I do think there is a predisposition to this um, sometimes. So today I want to talk a little bit about that. And, Great. and maybe like what some of the causes are and how that, how that, you know, plays out in my life personally. I do want to state... <laughs> <laughs> Neither Emily or I are doctors or <laughs> clinical psychologists. Um, so the views we're going to discuss today are obviously our own. Um, a depression is a real thing. If you are out there and you suffer from clinical depression, please do not ignore it. Get help, please. Um, at the end of the broadcast, we're going to um, we'll give you a couple of hotlines that you can call if this is something that you struggle with, because I think this is something that's real. And I think that it's, it's, um, it's something that's difficult to deal with in your life. Yeah. And if you are dealing with depression or know someone who is, we, we understand that that is a very personal individualized experience. And so our conversation today is certainly not, you know, the entire conversation. We realize many of you have already started a conversation on this topic, which is healthy and wise. And so maybe this just continues it a little bit for you. For some of you, maybe it starts the conversation, but you certainly will continue it on your own. And like Scott said, this this conversation will be based upon personal experience and what we have learned. And you may have learned some different things and experienced different things. And that, that's certainly fair that this conversation will be um, just a portion of what your conversation is. Yeah, agreed. I mean, this is obviously going to be a pretty personal conversation for me. Um, and my experience may be similar or dramatically different. We're all unique. Um, and let me mention too that, you know, I also am an artist, but I have not dealt with clinical depression before. It hasn't been my battle yet, maybe one day, but it hasn't to date. But if you're like me and you're listening to this, this is a topic still very much worth thinking about, listening um, to this conversation, getting your own information helpful in how you connect with the artists around you and empathize with other people who might be struggling and just so you can become more educated on the topic. Yeah, and I think it's a, a, a real fallacy to, you know, the kind of romantic idea of the of the depressed artist. I mean, I think I think sometimes people put that on like a coat. And I just disagree mm-hmm. with that entirely. Um, and for me, obviously, I'm not putting that on as a coat. As a matter of fact, I might sometimes be putting the opposite on as a coat <laughs> so that you don't know. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, uh, so, so I think I think for people out there who who aren't artists, I think it's important to acknowledge and recognize that not every single artist is manic depressive all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. And I th- so I think that that's important uh, to point that out. However, there are many famous artists in history who have suffered from depression. Um, uh, Painter, Jackson Pollock, Michelangelo suffered from depression. Ernest Hemingway, Edgar Allan Poe, which isn't surprising, actually. Um, Emily Dickens. We could see that one. Yeah, I think, yeah, we could predict that one. Um, There are just these great artists. There's great musicians. Lady Gaga has been, you know, a a modern example, someone who's been very open about her her struggles uh, with depression and mental illness. Um, uh, I think the artistic path has a tremendous amount of folks who have struggled with this. And so I'd like to talk about, you know, kind of why um, maybe artists, some artists have a predisposition for this. 
And in order to do that, I think it's really important to kind of take a little left turn and discuss the job of an artist. If you were to, to look at the average way that a person would define an artist, be it a musician or a painter or, or a writer, what do you think the average person would say? If it's not someone who has an artistic background or has actually worked as an artist, they probably would comment on something regarding uh, creating something beautiful and adding something that, that adds beauty to the world. I agree 100%. And I do think that that is a valid viewpoint and a valid part of the artist's job. I mean, there is no denying Monet's water lilies and how absolutely beautiful they are and the beauty that they added to life. But I think that's a pretty narrow definition mm -hmm. of, of an artist's job, and uh, which I know personally yours is a much expanded view of that as an artist, <laughs> you know, as a musician. Um, yeah, I think if you talk to an actual artist, right, then they would be more inclined to say something along the lines of um, their work is to express truth. Sometimes that's beautiful, sometimes it's not. Billie Holiday's recording of Strange Fruit, that wasn't intended to be a beautiful song. That was intended to kind of turn the light on something really dark that yeah. was happening quite a bit in, this, in the southern states, right? It wasn't intended to be beautiful and make people smile. It was intended to make people uncomfortable. Right. And so artists definitely aim to express truth and to find meaning in life and to inspire others to find meaning. I, I couldn't agree more. I think sometimes the job of an artist, no matter the discipline, is to uncover truth and challenge people's perceptions. And sometimes to point out wrong and injustice mm -hmm. uh, in the world, you know, and I'm not speaking politically. I mean, just that sometimes the way the world works is wrong mm -hmm. and an artist can, can put that into paint or words or notes in a way that we can't necessarily formulate it in a, in a public discourse. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's really important. And I think one of the reasons that happens is that artists seem to feel things more deeply. And I'm not trying to be derogatory towards people that are not artists. I'm not saying you don't feel things on, on an incredibly deep level. I'm not saying that. Mm -hmm. I just know that as an artist, sometimes the way I respond to stimuli in the world is really intense and visceral. There, there's, there's a level of intensity um, that is sometimes hard to deal with, I think. Um, we see the ills and issues of this world, and I think sometimes we take them on mm -hmm. and wear them as weights, almost. Because artists feel so deeply, I think that's what makes their art sometimes so compelling and so profound. Sure. It's because that comes out in the paint or the words or, or you know, the film or whatever. Um, but why does that happen to artists? Um, so to kind of tie those ideas together about our idea of pointing out truth and how depression can occasionally play into that, I'd like to talk about some of the triggers of depression, like triggers that I personally have experienced in my life. Um, and one of those triggers is too much sensory input. Um, uh, psychologists from the University of Toronto and Harvard got together and they did a study and they believe they've identified at least one possible biological 
basis for creativity. This study was in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, and it was done in 2013, and it says that the brains of creative people appear to be more open to incoming stimuli from the surrounding environment. Um, the co-author uh, of the study, uh, he's a psychology professor named Jordan Peterson, said, other people's brains might shut out the same information through a process called latent inhibition. And that's defined as an animal's unconscious capacity to ignore stimuli that their experience has shown is irrelevant to their needs. That's really interesting, huh? Yeah, it's a pretty wordy sentence, <laughs> but what that means is, you know, this animal has already seen that experience. It's seen the water. It uh -huh. doesn't need to think about the water. It knows that's a river. We walk past the river, you know, we're yeah. just not thinking about that. Mm -hmm. um, They've done psychological testing on artists and creative types, and the research showed that creative individuals are more likely to have low levels of this latent inhibition. This means that creative individuals remain in contact with the extra information constantly streaming in from the environment. Mm -hmm. As an example, someone who isn't creative might get up, going about their day, they get out of their house, the sky is blue. They don't think about the sky because they've seen the sky literally every single day for their entire life. The artist might walk out and see the sky and go, wow, that's a really amazing cerulean color uh -huh. in the bulk, uh -huh. of the bulk of the sky. But down at the horizon, especially in West Texas, it's a little bit orange. Mm -hmm. There's some dust in the air. Yeah. And so the artist is processing all these really minute other pieces of information. And they actually think that biologically um, and uh, evolutionarily that that had an importance, that those people, for instance, thousands of years ago, were the shamans, the people who mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would notice things about the environment that other people weren't and would help the tribe know where to hunt because there was a cooler breeze that morning and that means that the animals might go to a certain location. They could guide people with the meaning they had found. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So do you think that that greater sensitivity then to environmental information leads to a certain level of fatigue which makes you more susceptible to depression or is that... Unrelated. <laughs> no, I, I know. I actually think that's absolutely correct. Um, I it was really interesting because as I was preparing for this podcast, I was talking to my wife Amy, and I mentioned this concept that I'd come across, and and we were both like, "Oh my gosh, that's you! <laughs> you can't shut off anything." <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> like yeah. I read voraciously, I consume the news, I know about every little thing that's happening that I can find everywhere in the world, and, and it, this is all part of the processing where a lot of people can go, that's not a part of my life, I don't need to think about that. Uh -huh. And I would love to be able to shut that off sometimes because it is fatiguing. Mm -hmm. there, is a, there is a weight, and I think a lot of people with an artistic temperament take all that on themselves, as we discussed, mm -hmm. that there's a weight to that. Yeah. So I do think there is a fatigue component. Um, I do also think that it is always searching for meaning. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see God in the color of the sky. <laughs> you know uh -huh. what I mean? There's this there's sure. this thing of striving or trying to find something that that means more than your own life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I think there is a rumination with artists that's attached to that that I think can be a trigger for depression, be it because of the fatigue mm-hmm. of that information, mm-hmm. the sheer overload of it, or the sheer beauty of it sometimes, mm-hmm. that there's so much of it there. Yeah. Um, another uh, trigger um, that I think this is something that's common to every human being is trauma. Sure. Um, we all experience it, uh, be it the death of the lo- a loved one, the loss of a job, um, the betrayal of a friend, or, I mean, there's obviously mu- much worse things that happen in our world, uh, assault, rape. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a child and experience war. Mm-hmm. I, uh, so, so all of those things can trigger depression. We all know that. Um, I think that that trigger being attached to a specific situation, okay, is an important thing to, to point out. Um, and the fact that that is something everybody experiences. If someone does have depression, I do think sometimes that hole might get deeper because of that. Sure. They already have depression. They experience the death of a loved one and it just literally feels like the pit will never end. Yeah. Have you ever felt like you were dealing well with the depression? You didn't feel that it was really sitting right on you, but then you feel sucked back right to where you were when you're at your darkest day because something, you know, in five minutes or 10 minutes just brought you there. 1000%. Yes. I've had uh, a traumatic event in my life that literally I was literally doing really, really well. And all of a sudden I am deeper than I'd ever been. Mm -hmm. And it, it can happen in a matter of minutes, seconds. And so, Uh um, uh, when you go into a, a would you call it a depressive state? Yeah. Okay. When you go into a depressive state, do you feel like every time it gets deeper? Or it just is very familiar every time with it being kind of consistent with what it was the last time? Or does it just fluctuate? Sometimes not so bad, sometimes really bad, sometimes... There's certainly a fluctuation. Uh There's certainly different levels of it for me. And I think um, the more awareness I have developed about it, the easier it is for me to understand what it is when it's coming. Mm -hmm. I think when I was younger and less well-equipped where I had not literally intentionally sought coping mechanisms for this, that it would get deeper and deeper and the next one would go worse. And I think there's a dangerous cycle there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I, and we know that there's a dangerous cycle there. Um, so I do think as someone who suffers from this, it's really important for people to learn coping skills, um, which we're going to discuss um, in the next episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this. <laughs> right. I'm giving you a little foreshadowing there that we're not going to leave this all dark and hopeless. Um, this is a two conversation topic. It is a two conversation <laughs> topic, um, as a matter of fact. Um, I think it is very easy for someone who kind of has that latent inhibition mm-hmm. that we discussed. Mm-hmm. Um, that when there is a trigger and we go a little bit deeper and we go a little bit deeper, that there's a pile on effect that just feels like more and more weight piling Mm -hmm. on the top. So 
So yeah, I think it. So it can how do you know if you've ever? How do you know when you've climbed out of it, or do you never feel like you've climbed out of it? Um, there was a time in my life that I felt I would never climb out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, it, and. And that is a danger area because we get in a vortex where it just cycles around and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think it's kind of like being stuck in a whirlpool. You know, they talk about like if you're ever in the ocean, you actually get stuck in a whirlpool. The most important thing to do is not panic. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but what we do in a whirlpool is we panic. And that's when we die in a Mm -hmm. whirlpool is because we panic. Mm -hmm. Where if you actually get pulled into the center of the whirlpool, eventually... It like you get <laughs> if you if you hold your breath, <laughs> you know, have some good lungs. <laughs> yes, it'll it'll like put you somewhere else, and you'll then be okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and I and I don't I'm not trying to oversimplify that. And and no, you that's know. an interesting way to think about it. Yeah. So, uh, but I think in the throes of depression, it's really hard to ever see that, and mm-hmm. it's actually really easy to panic and just think this is never going to end. And in reality. Um, with some, uh, it is hard work, but with some coping skills and good support, I think you actually can come out of that. And I have come out of that. Um, uh, you know, as I discuss this, I want people to know that this isn't every single moment of every single day for me. Right. There Uh was a time when it probably was. Uh huh. Uh huh. And the nature of an artist is one, right? Where it's very easy to be consumed by your project, whether it's the book you're writing, whether it's the, um, the script you're putting together, whether it's the piece you're composing, whatever the project is, it's very easy to become consumed by it. And in that moment and experience, neglect self-care. Oh, oh, oh yeah. It's completely true. And, and that is a trigger also is not taking care of yourself. And anyone that knows me knows that I'm the king of not taking (laughs) care of myself. I'm Uh really good at it. I'm really good at not taking care of myself. (laughs) Um, I am very much by nature a workaholic, Mm -hmm. um, which is, uh, means I can put out a lot of work, but then I also destroy myself and the ones I love because of that, because I'm Mm -hmm. not giving them what they need or giving myself what I need to be able to survive. Um, uh, when I don't get enough rest, um, especially now, um, probably this didn't affect me as much in my 20s, but as I age, I can actually feel depression almost like ripples. Hmm. Like like if you were standing in perfectly calm waters and you just feel this little thing at your feet. Mm-hmm. It's almost like that. I can actually feel those ripples. And if I don't, do something to take care of myself, those ripples become waves. And if I continue to ignore it, I am suddenly under them. Mm-hmm. Um, do you feel that regardless of what you're doing? Or do you have to slow down and kind of be just in your head for a minute to pay attention to how you're feeling and then you detect it? Or could you be busy and working on a project and kind of feel it? I can tell you if I'm feeling that right now, I know it because mm-hmm. I have pursued in an effort to not live in a dark place all the time. It has been very important to me to understand why that happens to me. And so I have, most of the time, I have developed a sense of where it is. Yeah. Is it lapping at me? Is it not? Um, 
So it seems to me that that's obviously helpful information. I mean, you would want to know when it's coming on so you can be proactive or so you can start doing the things that are are helpful, the coping strategies you have. So how would you tell people who feel like they haven't developed that awareness yet? What is, what's a good journey to discover that? I think it's really important, um, to be aware of how you are treating yourself and how you are feeling in the moment. For instance, if you're going through your day and it's been a little negative and there's, you know, there's always stuff that's happening and, you know, that kind of thing. I I describe it as I'm feeling edgy. Mm -hmm. I start to feel this edge. Um, Like I I start to get a little, I start to get a little pissed off. I get a little Uh ticky. Uh I get a little, you know, my first reaction when somebody says something that I don't really want to do, there might be a little, <laughs> pardon me, but there might be a little F you that <laughs> I didn't say it, but it poked up in the back of my head and I sure thought it, but I still yeah. smiled at you. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. You know, those, those kinds of things. And as I start to see that pile up, I kind of go, oh, wait a minute. Mm-hmm. Huh. I went to bed at four last night <laughs> and I got here at nine yeah, I probably shouldn't do that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I've done that for three days. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty common for me to do stuff like that. So I think it's really important to kind of find a way to tune into your body um, and your emotional state and so that if you can sense that there's this little thing clawing <laughs> you know, uh-huh. at your heels, that you can recognize that and actually say what it is. I, I, that, I feel like maybe that's kind of coming on a little bit. I think that's a great thing to say to yourself yeah, because it makes you aware. Do you feel like you developed that awareness on your own or did other people help you develop that too? No, I developed that awareness um, through counseling uh-huh. uh, and through studying meditation, um, which I'm everybody out there, I'll be honest with you, the whole self-care movement I think is a beautiful thing, but I really don't want to see another yoga pose on Instagram. I mean, (laughs) it's BS. Okay. I mean, that's us looking like our best selves. Um, but I have learned that, that breathing exercises and learning a little bit about meditation, even though I'm a terrible, terrible practitioner and really don't do it enough (laughs) Mm -hmm. that when I feel that you know, that little dig, I can go, you know, I just need to go to the bathroom and I'll go to the John and yeah. I'm going to do a quick breathing exercise just to tamp that little FU that poked up in the back of my head and go, uh-huh. no, no. Cal- calm your manner. Calm it down. <laughs> that really wasn't bad. They just asked for some water, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> kind of thing. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, you were talking about how in to our artwork we mm-hmm. can go. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as musician, as a musician and a visual artist, one of the things I'm always striving for is something called the state of flow, mm-hmm. which is the ability. I call it going in. People call it being in the zone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, where literally I lose myself. Uh, when I was in art school, and, I, and I've actually always been this way with visual art. Visual art is more natural for me than music is. Um, that I can almost... I don't, this is a really silly way to state it, but I, it's almost like I can turn on a light switch and like nine hours later, Mm -hmm. there's a piece of art that I made. 
mm-hmm. you know, and it's done. And, and like, I was conscious, I was there the entire time, but I was in some other place and I realized, wow, I haven't gone to the bathroom in like eight hours <laughs> and I haven't eaten and I really need a shower, <laughs> you know, yeah. but I've ignored all those physical things. And I think that happens a lot of times when an artist finds the thread mm-hmm. for Yeah, their focus goes just to that. Yeah, yeah, to the, the I mean, we literally ignore everything else. And and that's a, a really great and positive thing when it's in its right, rightful place um, for an artist. Um, uh, your mind gets completely absorbed in it and wanders in places that it wouldn't wander if you knew, oh, I forgot, I need to, you know, I need to water the plants or take the dog out, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, interestingly, uh, it, uh, those extended bursts of activity, rapid flowing thoughts, the absorption and attentional wandering coupled with ignoring the needs of your body are also treated as marks of bipolar disorder. Yeah. So I think there, there is a, a plus and a, ne- a positive and a negative to that. Mm-hmm. And I think if all we ever do is go there, yeah, I think we can, I think there's a cliff there somewhere yeah. you know, that mm-hmm. we have to look at. Mm-hmm. That being never said, not every artist is bipolar. That's not, oh, sure. you know. Yeah, of course, of course. If you are battling depression, it seems that, you know, for, for people who aren't, there are surely things that cause them to fill the blues, right? There's things yeah. like their insecurities or disappointments. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted or whatever. These these experiences certainly can make you feel kind of down, but I would imagine that if you are already battling depression, those added layers of bitterness just compound the problem in a pretty dramatic way. Yeah, it does. Any, any kind of resentment or bitterness I think can also be a trigger. Um, you're right. It's something everyone experiences, but I know in my case that I have an uncanny ability to circle around the negative events in my life, be it somebody that, that did something wrong to me mm-hmm. or be it something that I did wrong or said something wrong. I, I, I very much have been a people pleaser most of my life, which is, mm-hmm. uh, uh, can be a real strength and a real detriment. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think, um, because of that latent inhibition, we di- mm-hmm. we discussed that, Instead of just going, yes, I know I failed in 2004, (laughs) you know, and that's okay. Everybody fails and lets their friends down or whatever. And (laughs) being able to move on from that, my brain still just wants to circle and circle and circle around that moment. Um, uh, And I think because of that latent inhibition Mm-hmm. it's harder for me sometimes to shut that off. Mm-hmm. And or change how you emotionally respond to that memory. Yeah. In spite of the fact that that friend, friend forgave me literally the same day, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's still coming back to me. Um, and I do think that as artists, a lot of times we focus on our fears and our failures and we focus a lot on our, our disappointments in mm-hmm. the areas where we're insecure. And I think that can act like a drain, you know? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is even though I've never been diagnosed with clinical depression, I have noticed as an artist that after accomplishing something that was big and it took a lot of time and a lot of energy and I felt pleased with the outcome, the days that follow it are definitely harder 
You know, it's not depressing for me per se, but it is darker. You know, you feel like as an artist, a certain kind of emptiness now that it's over or now that it's gone, even even if it was a success, even if it went well. And maybe especially if it went well, you know, the euphoria of it wears off and you're just kind of. Eh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, um, as as an as a a producer and as an artist and as a, as a musician, there are certainly things that I look back on my life on and go, wow, that's I'm really proud of that. That was a great success. And, and you are right. Those periods immediately following are pretty dark for me sometimes. Cause mm-hmm. it's like, I mean, there's a high attached to cool. That was, that was the most awesome thing I've ever been a part of. And now there's nothing left. You know? <laughs> yeah, That's exactly right. So I do think that that can be a trigger that actually, Oddly enough, that success can uh-huh. be a trigger to depression because yeah. all of a sudden we've achieved that and then there's the fear. That, there's always a constant fear in me that I will never achieve that again. Mm-hmm. I will never be able to go back to that mountain again. Literally every time I sit down at the mixing board to do a mix, mm-hmm. um, I fear it. I literally fear it every time that, yeah. ah, I, I don't know that I can do it again. I don't know that I can make a good mix again, or I don't know. Every new group that comes into my studio to record, I'm, I, I'm fearful in the moment because I think yeah. I'm going to screw it up. Yeah. And so I do think that, you know, I have a successful record. Oh, that was great. And then all of a sudden there's this huge gaping pit right after that. I've seen it enough times to recognize that pit and hopefully be able to say to myself, ah, this is just the pit after the yeah. the thing. <laughs> I'm going to take a few weeks here. <laughs> you know? yeah. I do feel that a lot of times for me too, after something like that, I need to get away. I need mm-hmm. to leave. I spend a lot of time in Colorado and that's kind of my, you know, that's my happy place, I guess. Your refuge. Yeah, my refuge. And, and if I, a lot of times I have to step away and go to that refuge in those moments. So do you feel that there are certain elements to dealing with depression that enhance your art, you know, that make it stronger in some way or help it or direct it yeah. in a way that you can appreciate? Yeah, I think so. And I think it can go both ways. Um, uh, while I think depression can can cause a dead stop mm-hmm. in your art, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it can slow you down. Um, I, when I very first opened my studio... Um, uh, that is right when I had left the college and you'd think, oh, I'm, he's got a new business. He's going to have to work his tail off, which of course I did. But there were days that I just was so depressed that it was, I called it a dark day and I would work for an hour and a half and go home and go, I hope tomorrow's better. Mm -hmm. Um, so I do think that that can happen, but I think depression can also be a catalyst for amazing work. I think sometimes those darkest depths allow us to to see light in a different way mm-hmm. um, and can inspire some of the greatest works um, that we ever achieve. Um, I also think that it's real interesting the times on either side of depression as you're coming out of it, mm-hmm. for me, can be a an incredibly cathartic and energized and powerful time period. Mm -hmm. I happen to be in one of those right at this moment where I'm getting a lot done. Mm -hmm. I'm writing stuff that I've started painting again, which I haven't done in a while. Uh, There's a, there's a big push of that. And I understand that that's a cycle, 
You know, yeah. uh, I think depression, it can be a cycle, or at least it is for me. But I think that kind of recovery time period from it has amazing potential. And also the downhill slide sometimes has amazing potential because we're feeling things so deeply. Yeah, We may not be able to achieve them at that point, but I do think it comes out somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I th- that's interesting. And I think a lot of times as artists, you know, for instance, when we have a situation, we have a trauma that we've worked through, I think um, if we turn to our art, I think there's a lot of answers there. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that some of our best work comes from those horrible human traumas that we mm-hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many songwriters I know that, you know, they, they start their career and they're struggling and they have, you know they're looking for a relationship at the same time as they're writing all these songs. So they're writing all these songs about love and loss and, you know, and all this stuff that they don't have. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, they get a little bit of success and then they meet their significant other. And all of a sudden their inspiration's gone (laughs) because they're happy, you know? Uh (laughs) And so I think, I think sometimes that darkness makes us, makes us really write great material. Mm -hmm. In that mm-hmm. moment. Have you experienced that? I think that when you are experiencing, when you're feeling things at a high level, your art becomes more than something that's about technique. And great art does require great technique, but there must be a balance between that and great knowledge and great emotion that's also wrapped up in it. And it's very easy to become technicians as artists, where we become very concerned just about the technique being impressive. And when it's a void of the emotional element, when it's a void of the intellect, sometimes it seems to fall short of being impactful and meaningful. But when we can tie the emotion into it in a similar degree that the technique is present, then it can be very impactful and purposeful and, you know, and moving. And so... For me, I have felt that in the moments where I'm feeling a lot, either because of traumatic experiences or observations in the world or whatever it is, when I'm feeling a lot, that emotion getting pumped into my art and coupled with the technique, I'm usually more satisfied with what I'm making. I think that makes so much sense. Um, For me, virtuosity without heart really means nothing. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, somebody can be an amazing technician, uh, and but I'd almost rather hear one person make, I'd rather hear a person play one note that makes <laughs> me cry, mm-hmm. you know, than that, than, yeah. than this massive display of technique. Yet the absence of technique doesn't allow you the skill to get that emotion out <laughs> exactly. sometimes. Exactly. And so I do think that, the, that there's a balance to that. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting that I think... Um, uh, at this point in my life, I've kind of realized that that depression maybe has helped shape me as an artist and made me a better artist and that maybe it hasn't just been a negative thing mm-hmm. for me to experience. And I think that's really important um, uh, for artists who are maybe str- struggling with this or suffering from this, especially in the early years, to recognize that this might be informing your art and making yeah. you better. Yeah, And still, right, we'd want to remind our listeners that if you are, even if you're questioning, am I depressed, am I not depressed, there's a lot of wisdom in seeking professional help. Scott and I have have thoughts on the subject, but we're not 
trained professionals in this field. And so we would hope that you would, you know, be very wise in how you handle your own situation and get the help that can maybe give you more insight and direction in how you're going to deal with what you're battling. Absolutely. So if you are out there and you're an artist who struggles with depression, I do want you to know you're not alone. Um, Please reach out to somebody, reach out to a friend. There are hotlines that you can call or text. Uh, The crisis text line is 741-741. And uh, if it is really a dark place, um, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-TALK. Please reach out. You've got some art that the world probably needs, and uh, we'd like to see you complete it. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for sharing this conversation with us. We hope it helps with your journey. Live artfully. Outset is produced by Emily Wheeler and Scott Ferris, engineered by Christopher Reynolds, and recorded at the Amusement Park Recording Studio in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit outsetpodcast.com.